Welcome to Rock Steady, an Express North podcast. And now our host, Dr. Fran Bartkowski. Welcome back, everybody, to Rock Steady at Express Newark at Rutgers University Newark. I'm talking today with Julie Winoker, Executive Director of Talking Eyes Media. Just briefly, you'll hear much more about Julie and very little about me, but just for some context, uh, Julie and I met in recent years when she and her production company joined forces, and I do mean forces, with a project called Newest Americans. And um, you'll hear more about that in future podcasts with um, Tim Raphael, my friend and colleague who started that. But that's how I came to know Julie. Um, And uh, Julie, so glad to be together in this virtual way. Um, but it's as real as it's going to get. And it's, it's real, it's as real as it's been. Cause I haven't seen you in many a month, even though we actually live in the same town. Um, so as in my earlier conversations slash interviews with people, um, I want to start in our present where we all are and are very long present. Sometimes people talk about long histories. Um, This is a very long present. We've been living um, since March of 2020. Um, But this very present of this very day and this very week is yes, another week in Corona time, another week in the paradoxes of the pandemic, but this is also the week of the 2020 election. And um, it seems worth saying that for whenever someone might listen to this and wonder about the trajectory of this conversation. So would you talk, Julie, about this present and how it has, how you've lived it, how you thrived in it, um, in its fashion of rhythms, disrupted, changed, refound, remade um, in your creative and professional life and personal life, if you wish. Wow. So that's a loaded question (laughs) or many questions. That was really like the philosophical universe. Uh, I think in that question, um, I find actually this time oddly energizing and invigorating and, Uh, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. And I do feel like this is a time we're facing all kinds of challenges we've never faced. And they're epic challenges. They're not just small blips and bumps in the road. These are really uh, of an epic scale. And so um, I'm actually embracing this time. You know, it's funny. It's like there's nothing worse than the banal of every day and every month and every year rolling one into the next into the next. And then you you almost don't even have markers. You can't even remember. Was that last year or the year before that I was doing X, Y and Z? And, uh, you know, and there are many projects that you work on and you're, you know, you lose track of time and then you realize, my God, we've been doing this for five years already. How did that happen? Um, At this moment, it really is. you know, everything is sort of so combustible, explosive, dynamic that um, I've I've been, you know, truly 
um, makes you feel very alive. Uh, you know, so, you know, on a professional level, uh, as you said, you know, I'm a founder of Newest Americans, and that's a project we've been doing now for six years. Um, and so, you know, that's had all kinds of wonderful, you know, challenges and peaks. And um, But what we ended up doing when pandemic hit, because we couldn't do any um, live interactive, you know, whether it was filming, whether it was sharing the work that we had created and doing screenings or panel discussions or anything like that. Um, we ended up, I should back up a little bit. So Talking Eyes Media, which is my company, we are the media arm of Newest Americans. So we produce all of the films and photo essays and the website and all of that. So we, we, are the visual media people, the content producers. And so, you know, our work requires being hands-on in the field, you know, directly engaging with people. And so when pandemic hit and we all were sequestered, uh, we had to do a big pivot and we had to do it quickly because the nature of our work suddenly was taken off the table. And so we ended up producing a website for youth reporting that's called Stories from the Pandemic. And that was a way to reach out to young people, students um, that we had engaged with over the past few years and to say, all right, this is the time we're passing the baton to you. You've done some training. You're part of the newest Americans universe. You're part of our ecosystem. Now is the time that you get to be the voice, the frontline reporters, the correspondents delivering on the promise of newest Americans. And so it was the moment to say, like, what do we all want to know more than anything? We want to know what's going on in your world, in your home, in your family, in your community. We can't be the ones to go and bear witness but this is now like it's a fertile field. You guys have the tools. You guys tell us, take us into your world in a way that we are incapable of doing now. And so these correspondents that uh, were activated um, did have done a stellar job of photographing, recording, reflecting, writing, really um, bringing to life their experience of quarantine. Uh, so that website, uh, we launched that, gosh, I want to say back in April. I'm losing track of time. Yeah, no, okay. it's been going for some months. It's fabulous. That, I mean, what you have just said, um, please, uh, for folks listening, drive yourselves there. Stories from the pandemic. Yeah. And I'm so taken with what you said about how you're feeling very alive in this time, your language about invigorating and energizing the paradoxes of this pandemic, right? I mean, they've been with us since we have been saying we're going to be together apart, right? I mean, from the moment into the history of this period and the creative energies unleashed and what i mean you were so well positioned you newest americans the students the community to really run with that storytelling which is so key to everything you do as you know media journalists etc 
Um, can I ask you about um, the film that you recently screened, I believe at the Montclair Film Festival and elsewhere, called The Sacrifice Zone. Talk to us about the origins and the emergence of that amazing project around environmental justice and the arts and the media and Newark. So uh, yeah, I just want to say one more thing about stories from the pandemic before we move on. Um, I, I want to celebrate the youth that were part of that project who ended up getting published in the New York Times. And I just thought that was really, you talk about coming out of the gate, um, you know, speaking your piece and then having one of the uh, preeminent publications in the United States celebrate the value of what you have to say was really a, a, a big win for everybody involved. Just so exciting. So with that, um, I would love to move on to the sacrifice zone because this it has been my passion project for the last couple of years. Uh, it is a film that looks at environmental justice in Newark. Uh, the protagonist of the film, uh, Maria Lopez Nunez, is with the Ironbound Community Corporation. She is a fierce fighter. Uh, she is, you know, really somebody who I admire immensely. Uh, she is, um, you know, she inspired me in, in major ways in, uh, in making this film. Um, it really looks at what it means to be in an overburdened community uh, and what it means, you know, we call these fence line communities, communities where there are multiple toxic polluting facilities. Uh, you look at the Ironbound and you're talking about the largest Superfund site in the United States, the airport, the port, more than 10,000 trucks a day pass through the neighborhood. Um, the largest incinerator on the Eastern seaboard. So, you, you know, this is just, there's much more there in a concentrated area. And the, I got interested in doing the film after taking the toxic tour that the Ironbound Community Corporation offers. The toxic and, tour. Yeah. What a phrase. Yes. And I grew up just north of Newark along the Passaic River. So talk to us some more. Yes. Oh, my God. It's like you go on that toxic tour and you realize that you've never really stopped to ask, what is in all those big chemical storage bins? What is that plume of smoke coming out? What is the, you know, the, the volume of diesel truck traffic through the neighborhood? When, and, you know, and I, I actually don't live in Newark. I mean, I live in Montclair, so I'm not far away. But it struck me that in my life, thousands of times I have driven through this neighborhood, past this neighborhood, flown over the neighborhood, passed by in a train, and never stopped to think what it means to live next door mm -hmm. to all that crap mm -hmm. that's spewing. Mm -hmm. And it, I think most people, that's the case. You don't stop and think about it, nor do you stop and ask, how am I contributing to it? So whether it's like buying all the cheap stuff I buy that comes through on the trucks from the port, whether it's the fact that my garbage is going there to be, you know, handily disposed of. So I felt that it was imperative to create a film that 
exposes what an environmental justice community has to live with, but then to celebrate or to elevate the voices of the people who are making a difference, who are not going to passively be victimized by, you know, by, by, you know, the powers that be, who are fighting back and who were, you know, taking control of their situation, who demonstrated agency, optimism, and energy around these issues. And so the film is ultimately, um, you know, it's a it's eye-opening in what it reveals, but it is a very positive film in that you see community agency and you see how women of color are leading the movement. Uh, and the exciting thing about it, too, this film is now we were in the Montclair Film Festival, uh, NJTV did a broadcast followed by a panel discussion. Uh, we also were in the United Nations Association Film Festival out of Stanford. Mm. We were at the Princeton Environmental Film Festival. A bunch of you know places are starting to pick it up. And the interest has been tremendous. Uh, a lot of folks from uh, high school teachers up to uh, the film is going to show actually on Tuesday as part of the uh, Hudson River uh, Foundation conference. They have an annual conference mm. as part of the New York and New Jersey Estuary Protection Organization. Wow. So folks who work in the field are recognizing the value of the messaging. Um, and it was also used to help promote uh, what has become the most progressive piece of legislation in the United States around environmental justice, which Governor Murphy just signed into law about a month ago. So we are on the forefront. We are on the bleeding edge of moving the needle on environmental justice. Did you say leading edge or bleeding edge? Bleeding edge. That's what I thought you said. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't the only person hearing that. Thank you, Julie. That is, yeah, I, I am visiting the site. I will screen the film. I couldn't do it during the film festival, but it is really very powerful. Um, so um, would you turn your thoughts, your attention, your insights to how the coming of Express Newark and the work you, Talking Eyes, Newest Americans, Tim Raphael, were already doing, um, because you said six years of that project, right? And I remember that project coming to be. Um, and it found a home and has its home in this space and place, Express Newark, in downtown, um, how did that coming of the space and place inflect what you were producing in terms of media and content and stories um, as you think back on the last three years since Express Newark opened in January 2017? So, I mean, Express Newark is a magical place, you know, it, plain and simple. And what it does, both physically and uh, psychologically, effectively, um, is to break down all kinds of walls, barriers between uh, the educational institution and the community, between 
filmmakers and 3D printers and graphic designers and, uh, you know, you name it, whatever medium you're working in, if you are expressive, you belong there. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it, it, it was definitely in creating Express Newark, it was a vision that has come to fruition. It, you know, provides a physical space and it also provides an endorsement that what you're doing has a home that you may not fit in any category, but you fit in here. Mm. And it mm-hmm. all came about around the same time that we were birthing newest Americans, Express mm-hmm. Newark was being birthed. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I, I, again, newest Americans would not exist without the support of Rutgers Newark. It also would not exist without Newark itself because Newark is the stage that all of these stories are set. You know, that they emanate out of Newark in one shape, uh, you know, one way, shape or form. Um, The premise of the project is that Newark as a majority minority city is already expressing what America looks like, what our future looks like and the kinds of stories we need to be telling that are reflective of who we are. And so, you know, it, it all came together uh, as a constellation between the concept of the project, Nancy Cantor's undying support for the project, because it would not exist without a champion, and she has been that champion, without the university's financial support, uh, also academic support, without that, you know, without the, the brilliance of professors who contribute to our thinking process without the students who both uh, share their stories as well as, you know, uh, provide this this, uh, petri dish, so to speak, of of watching what grows, you know, and then Express Newark really was the icing on the cake to give us uh, a home. A home, a magical place and a home. Yeah. Um, And as you are thinking about um, this present, that past, and what you may, what else will continue to grow, do you imagine, um, in a future that is, you know, farther away than we might like, that horizon is not yet a near horizon. Um, but a project like Stories from the Pandemic certainly has many more stories to gather in these coming months and perhaps even a full year in 2021. Um, Right. We all know that some of these uh, creative solutions to new problems, a phrase I like to keep quoting um, from our new dean, Jackie Mattis, will be a guest at some point in the coming months. Um, We all know that some really amazingly rich things have been made, discovered, recovered in this time of needing to do so, and that many of them will stay with us and um, kind of permanently change how we live our lives, do our business, um, dine indoors, Outdoors, for example, visions of visions. What are the visions? What are the daydreams? What are the stories you're thinking? So 
I mean, I think it's important to recognize that in times of hibernation, it you know, or if we're not even hibernating, but in times of um, what is the word I'm looking for? But you know, it, in these these sort of quiet contemplative times, right? We've been forced to turn inward in all sorts of ways, right? That's the isolation factor, right? And we've also, though, been forced to become more familiar and explore uh, the local, the, you know, what's close in front of us. It has infinite possibility. And we often are very busy thinking in an extroverted way. And this is a beautiful time to rediscover what is immediate. Um, So, you know, in terms of like things that I'm investing my time and energy into these days, there are sort of a few different things. One has been working on curriculum around newest Americans because we are about to launch uh, a whole teacher training and curriculum, curricular deployment into Newark's high schools. So this is a good time for us to be formulating how we roll out our curriculum, the meat of the curriculum, uh, and how to put our media to work Mm. across the city and through the high schools. And then beyond newer to take our curriculum to high schools across the country. So it's a time of sowing those seeds. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other thing is uh, we did get a National Endowment for the Humanities grant to do the, the Newark Story Bus. And so I'm excited to say that in the last few weeks, we uh, had a phenomenal team work in Jera Luce, who painted our bus. And it is like the magical mystery bus. You know, it is so exciting. This thing, when you see this thing driving around Newark, you will not be able to miss it. It's going to turn heads. Is it visible somewhere yet virtually? So uh, is it a big secret to be unveiled? So what we're doing is we're holding off on the unveiling until it's ready to roll out, you know, around the city. But what we are doing is on the Express Newark website, we are sharing some works in progress pictures. So you can Mm. just get a little tease about the colorful magic that uh, Mm. has happened to this bus. Uh, And it is fabulous, you know. Um, so we're working on that and that story bus is going to be a a mobile digital media lab that is brought around to all kinds of places around the city to collect stories and to, uh, you know, we'll begin with arrival stories. How did you get here? How did you and your family come to be in Newark? Tell Mm -hmm. us your arrival story so that Mm -hmm. we can really get Mm -hmm. this incredible mosaic of voices and images I would love to see that we take the photographs from those arrival stories. We'll be doing portraits. Mm. Uh, I would love to see that we print those and have them like on the sides of buildings around the city. So we uh, really embrace public art and a public display of who we are. Um, And especially as we're talking about, you know, if life does not return fully to normal, we have to find ways to bring newest Americans to the people in a more public outdoor space. Uh, so that's a kind of a creative way of thinking about next steps. Um, yeah, so that's been um, really invigorating to see that come to fruition. Uh, and then um, uh, outside of Newest Americans, I'm launching a new project about about the minority, majority minority experience around the country. 
that uh, I'm, I'm hoping we uh, just j- did our first exploratory trip to Georgia, of all places. Went you to, just came back. Just came back from Georgia yesterday. And we are all waiting on news from Georgia today and elsewhere. Yes. And we spent the week leading up to the election in a community that in the last decade went from majority white to minority white. They have their first black mayor in the county. Uh, they have, uh, as of this week, the first black sheriff they've ever elected in this county. Uh, so we spent the week leading up to it focused on a group of evangelicals who were very divided politically, but we're trying to figure out how do we work together? How do we navigate with such diverse points of view? Mm. Um, and so my hope is that what we're going to do is do a, a series that would look at different issues uh, by selecting communities that have transitioned in this past decade mm. to majority minority and look at a different issue within each community. And this Georgia exploratory trip was the first of what the series will become. Mm -hmm. Um, We have a few more minutes. Could you say, could you tell us where this community is or not? And how did you come to plant seeds there? How were you invited or how did you explore ahead of time and decide this is where we're going now? So I'm, uh, I'm a, a, I'm a firm believer that if you're paying attention to the signs in your world, the universe leads you places. You know, Mm. you just have to have your eyes and ears open. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to respond to all of the clues you get along the way. Uh, So I have been doing a project for the last eight years called Bring It to the Table. And that is all about breaking down hyperpartisanship. It's, um, I took the project on when my son was 17 and he told me I was the most politically intolerant person he had ever met. <laughs> oh dear. Oh, a signpost for the age. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I just, it didn't sit right with me, but I kind of <laughs> thought, you know, he's probably right that I am. He said to me, if the other side had a good idea, you wouldn't know because you weren't listening. Wow. And I thought, you know, wow, that was just absolute wisdom from the mouth of babe. The mouths of babe, 17 year old ones, even. Yes. Okay. Yeah, they're wiser than they look. Um, they so, are. They're everywhere yeah. and wiser. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. The children will lead us. Go on. <laughs> yep. Yeah, well, that challenge, it was like he, you know, he threw, you know, threw his gloves down and it was like, okay, here's, I dare you. So I, um, I decided that I would actually have to learn how to listen. And so I went on the road with a small table and a camera crew wow. uh, and I traveled around the country and invited people to sit down and talk politics with me so I could learn how to listen. And so uh, the, the project, you can see it, you know, on, online, it's called Bring It to the Table. It has a very distinct format. It's got a star-spangled tablecloth, and there's a little flower pot in the middle of the table. And every conversation begins with, where are you on the political spectrum, right to left, and why? And so what I ended up doing after producing a, the, a, the film, Bring It to the Table, I started going out and doing a lot of public speaking. Uh, about my experience sharing the film 
And as time went on, I started to actually do live table talks on stage when I Uh went into communities. Uh And it's amazing how much people want to share their political beliefs in front of other people. Mm. But but in this particular format, it's because they're respected. They are invited to do it in a respectful manner and to explain where does their thinking come from. And so then from there, I ended up doing a lot of trainings and launching something that are called 10 table events so that Mm -hmm. communities could host their own tables. And I do a facilitator training and then um, you know, we did one at Rutgers, actually. It was a great group of students who hosted 10 tables, and they invite people passing by to sit and talk politics. Mm. So as a result of all this work, so I, I really was done by 2016. I just thought, I'm exhausted. I've been traveling the country. I kind of have played this out. I've done it. I did it. I was. This was my most patriotic thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> who knew? Uh-huh. Okay. And then when Trump won, um, all of a sudden, all these people said, holy shit, we have a problem in this country. We don't know how to talk to each other. We don't see eye to eye. So, and then my phone started ringing off the hook. Uh, you know, Washington Post did a feature on me after Trump got elected because they found me. All of a sudden, I was like the oracle. How did uh-huh. you know? Uh-huh. How did you know this was such an issue? Well, it, it's been an issue. Yeah. For a yeah. long time. Oh, my goodness. And Trump is the manifestation of this issue. And, you know, and I, I, I purposely don't make this about politicians. I make it about us as citizens and owning our own um, partisanship, but our own inability to hear each other. Mm-hmm. And so I really make this about like, how do you become the kind of citizen you would like to see in others? How do you become that person? And it's not about agreeing, all coming to the same conclusion, but it's about the ability to actually discuss our differences in a civil manner. And so um, it, it, it's a long explanation to get us to Georgia. Mm. But um, about a month ago, I got Your an email. phone is ringing off the hook again, I'll bet. I get an email from a pastor in Georgia who says, I found your project. I'm a pastor in Georgia, and I want to try to figure out with my congregation, how do we practice what we preach? And so I was kind of like, well, this is really interesting. So I said, let's talk. Let's you know, have a call. So we get on the phone and he can't believe I responded even. He's like, I just didn't even expect to hear back from anybody. And we end up having an hour long conversation. And he says, yeah, I'm a Republican, Mexican-American. I have a son who doesn't agree with me. I have a congregation that's split 50-50. They're Democrats, Republicans. They're liberal, conservative. They are documented, undocumented. And I am trying to figure out how do we put into practice our Christian values in this moment of division? And so I said to him, wow, this is like the more you talk, the more interesting this is. And I went back to my team and I was like, I think there's something here. You know, we didn't have a plan yet for the election. Right. And so that we did some digging. And then when we learned that this is a this. So it's Norcross, Virginia and Gwinnett County. We heard a lot about Gwinnett County last election. Mm. It was the first time it flipped. They voted for Hillary. 
the makeup of this county, it's now around 47% Latino, Latinx. Uh, and in a decade, again, transit transitioned from white majority to white minority. So it was like, I think we need to get down there and let's film there. We have already, this is a community within a community, an evangelical church, but it's not just down the, down the line, straight Republican event, you know, evangelists. Mm -hmm. So this is probably, this is, you know, truer to the nuance of where people are, how complicated these issues are, how they're grappling with living in a diverse community and how it shifts what they think. So we went down and filmed over the past week, not knowing that Georgia, it was all going to now boil down to this election sort of uh, nail biter, you know, edge of your seat kind of an experience. Well, and as you said earlier, something along the lines of the way the work and the creativity comes to find you, right? And um, this bringing it to the table, uh, we got to keep sitting at those tables virtually or in person as we can. And boy, it's rough right now to think about listening to people who don't feel as you feel think as you think, because that's the, well, it's the chasm that we've been um, tracking. Some of us just this week, some of us for decades, some of us for centuries. And I do worry, just to interject for a second, I do worry that as we self-isolate, we will become more extreme in our views. We will you know, it's it's a perfect echo chamber of the sort that has you, uh, you know, self-selecting the information you inject yeah. and only talking to people you agree with and living on social media. And it will have us more bifurcated, not less. And so that concerns me. And we have to make a much greater effort to break down those devices break down the binary concept of who we are because it could be dangerous. You know, it's pretty toxic yeah. to, you know, to isolate ideologically. Yeah. Different kind of toxic tour of the country <laughs> that we are perhaps, you know, taking, whether we signed up for this journey or not. Um, but again, I mean, I think the virtuality, you know, it's, it's physical distance we require now. It's not social distance. You know, the way that term took hold in the pandemic, I have real trouble with that. And so do a lot of the, you know, epidemiologists who we all listen to here and there about it's, we need the physical distancing, but socially we cannot distance from each other. And in some ways, the the challenges of this kind of listening, maybe without being physically in the same room, there's a different kind of listening that could go on. You know, mute buttons have shown their effectivity in some very stunning ways. (laughs) But, you know, if there's a mute button, there's the listening that happens, right? While someone else is having their say. Julie, this is, 
What a great conversation. I, I really um, can't thank you enough for taking and making the time and bringing this work, this wisdom, this generativity, this aliveness that you we hear in your voice and about the work that you're doing with all your co-creators. And, you know, the collaborative nature across constituencies, faculty, students, city, community, legislators, activists, this is the magic place, as you said, of what can, what has been generated from this place called Express Newark. Thanks so much, Julie. Thank you. This has been fantastic. I mean, I I really have enjoyed talking and you've really got me thinking about a lot of a lot of new framings. Same here. Thank you. Thank you. Um, All right. This has been Rocksteady at Express Newark at Rutgers University, Newark. Stay with us. Subscribe to us. We have upcoming conversations with artists and supporters of the arts in our Newark arts ecosystem. Rocksteady is hosted by Dr. Fran Bartowski. Our engineer is Eric Johnson, and our marketing and promotion is done by Dana Demiani. Our theme music is Rocksteady, recorded by Aretha Franklin, and our outro is an original rendition by violinist Dr. Melanie Hill, a Rutgers Nork professor. This podcast is a project of Express Nork, a Rutgers Nork University community collaboratory. 